you having any personal problems at home? Girl trouble, love trouble of any kind? Uh, drugs are bad. You shouldn't do drugs. Uh, if you do them, you're bad. God is coming to you. I never thought I'd be so happy to be a virgin. Isn't that like taboo? Taboo. 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 Welcome to the podcast willing to take on any issue. You're listening to To Boo. Welcome to another episode of the To Boo podcast coming to you from the beautiful Ngunnawal and the Gambri lands. We once again pay our deepest respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I'm here in the studio with Mel. Hi Mel. Hey there. We are revisiting a topic not only talked about 20 years ago, but it's come up earlier in the season as well. Um, Perhaps a positive development that we've seen in the last 20 years. Yeah, it seems there has been some progress around the views of homosexuality over the last 20 years. So it seemed like a good opportunity to get Matt back in the studio to talk with us about being a gay man in Australia. Yeah, he was kind enough to share those experiences with us 20 years ago and it'll just be so interesting to see what his feelings are about how how Australia's changed in that period. Looking forward to hearing it. My first memory is of being attracted to a male. I didn't know that's what what made me gay. And, you know, I used to use the words poster and faggot and stuff like that as insults, not knowing what they meant. And I think... Um, I grew up in a tiny village in Germany, so um, homosexuality just wasn't talked about. And then I moved to San Francisco <laughs> from there before coming to Australia. And that's where I learned that, oh, my God, that's what I am. So I, I always knew I was attracted to males, and I knew that was different from the norm, but I didn't know that's what made me gay. So we're speaking again to Matt Schmidt, who 20 years ago was the Gay and Bisexual Education Officer at the AIDS Action Council. Uh, and as he described himself then, and, and I imagine still is a proud gay man, and um, the conversation we've already had with Matt was really in his, his professional capacity about sexual health and what's changed in that time. Um, but I want to say again, Matt, particularly on this topic, just so grateful for the generosity uh, of your time and willingness to speak about um, your sexuality and, and the experiences you had both... Um, back in 1999 and, and today. Yep. And you're right, I am still identify as a proud gay man. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, I, I thought rather than have me sort of uh, speculate as to why, I might play a little extract of our show uh, then and about you talking about whether uh, being a gay man in Canberra truly was a taboo. So when we first looked at homosexuality, we weren't homosexuality, we weren't really sure if it was a taboo in Canberra. However, recent events overseas and the attitudes and laws of certain Australian states suggest it's not acceptable in places other than Canberra. Is Canberra ultra-liberal or were we just being naive? Uh, No, please. Um, I think it's a bit of both. Um, Canberra, in terms of laws and things like that, it's really good. It's a really good place to be gay. Um, We have the best anti-discrimination laws in Australia. Uh, the best age of consent laws were completely equal with heterosexuals. Um, and, but I mean, in terms of general community attitudes, there's still certainly a lot of homophobia out there and 
a lot of discrimination and people getting bashed and stuff like that. So there's still all, all of that stuff is still happening. But also because we're a public service town, we have a lot lot of what we call suburb queens, you know, they live in suburbia <laughs> and, um, you know, they're safe and happy in their little jobs and, you know, the tea party circle. Um, I still imagine Canberra and my experience always was that it was a very accepting place. Um, I, um, the first time actually, oddly enough, I would describe Melbourne as a very accepting city, but it's the first time I experienced um, uh, oh no, sorry, I did in Canberra at the very end as well. Um, twice in the workplace I've been told I'm too gay. And, um, but I'd say that's the exception to the rule. Um, once was by an Air Force Marshal in Canberra. That was my last job in Canberra. And, um, and he just said I'm too gay for it. I, he, well, initially he said I'm too fabulous for his liking. And I just called him on it and I said, that's corporate speak for gay. And he said, oh, great, we have an understanding. And I said, we sure do or not. And I wow. said, well, I'll be talking to our company lawyer after this meeting. And I did. And and, yeah, um, and I finished the next day. Um, and, um, the, and the other time was here in Victoria. My very first job in Victoria, in fact, um, I, was, <laughs> I was, my job was to talk to farmers about compulsorily acquiring their land so they could extend highways. And, um, and, uh, Oh, I can see how your sexuality would be relevant to yeah, that. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, um, and, and again, I'm, I wouldn't describe myself as straight acting, but my job was basically to, to visit these random farmers and the wife loved me. Middle aged women generally love gay men and would have a piece of cake and a coffee and, talk about it and they were all happy that I was offering them lots of money from the government and um, but but I came back to the office and this uh, little twerp of a manager said to me um, you're too German and too gay to work here and, and oh, just let's discriminate on multiple fronts all in one go then excellent yeah that's exactly what I thought and because I was an uh, hired through an agency rather than directly um, I had to give one minute notice and um, and I said, I'm giving you my one minute. I called my partner at the time and I said, I want to quit. And um, he goes, go for it. And I gave my one minute notice, used that minute to pack up the few things I had on my desk and walked out. So um, on, on the whole, um, I, I, again, it might be rose colored glasses. Um, but on the whole, I think it's, it's a pretty accepting. It, 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 there, there's not a lot of stigma around being gay anymore. I, I think just like with all sort of things that people get discriminated against. It's, there are some people who still hold what I would call old-fashioned values. But um, but I think for most young people, certainly, again, the young people that I've come across in the last 10 years or so, it's not even an issue. It's like it's, it's, they, they're, they're almost surprised to hear that some people get discriminated against because for, in their world, that's just not part of their reality because everyone's just accepted for who they are. In fact, people are encouraged to be their true self, as we say now. Mm. And, uh, and and I think that's a wonderful thing. That can only be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. What makes a person gay? Is it simply sex? Okay, I love that question. I knew um, <laughs> Okay, what makes a person gay? I think that... Um, it, it's a lot of things. I'm I'm a big fan of what they call the FBI model, which stands for feelings, behavior, and identity. 
So I consider myself to be gay because I'm attracted to men emotionally, I'm attracted to men physically, and because I identify as a gay male and I behave, I guess, gay, as you could call it. I mean, I only have sex with men, so... I'm just not turned on by women. Um, other people. That's a good reason. Probably. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's just sex. I think um, you can have sex with males um, and not be gay. I think you can have sex with males and women, uh, with males and females, and identify only as a lesbian or only as a straight woman or a straight man. Um, like I said, I think it's it's to do with your feelings, with your behavior, and what you choose to identify as. Um, a lot of people choose not to identify as gay anymore. A lot of people call themselves queer now. Um, is is there a reason for that? Uh, I think it's it's a less limiting label. Um, gay gay started off meaning, of course, happy. Then it was attached to both women and men who um, are attracted to their own sex, and now it's become only a male term. Mm. So it's it's a very sort of boxing type label. And I think queers queers sort of like yeah, I'm not straight, but you know you you figure out what you think it means. So mm. I don't know. I love the word queer. I think it's very inclusive and excellent and new and I'm really into reclaiming the language. We talked a little bit about about this in 99 but um, the, the label labels and how they're used and, and how we um, both define ourselves and I suppose stereotype others using those labels, are, are they still even relevant today do you think? Um, they seem to be relevant for some people. Um, the... Um, a lot of people simply identify as um, I, I think I think we've become more comfortable with the words gay and lesbian and bisexual. Um, I think there's a real move away from the word queer. Um, I really Which, liked it. At the, I really, I liked it at the time because I felt did. it was inclusive. You yeah. Did, yes. And um, but I but I but I but I think that I think labels still matter. But um, also. Um, um, I, what I really do think is great is when I when I hear young people say, "At the moment, this is what I think I am," yes. and and it, it kind of acknowledges that sometimes it's a bit fluid and, and you're just experimenting. You're just experimenting is the wrong word. And sometimes you feel a certain way and you go for it, and other times you might feel a different way and you go for that. And yes. and just and. And I think it's very much an individual choice whether labels matter to you or not. That's interesting because the next question I was going to ask actually is about um, we talked back in the day about um, you know what percentage of the population may identify as, as gay and 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 the um, challenges. Uh, I think there still were challenges then of coming out. Um, can the realization you're gay be a traumatic one for some people? You said you knew it from a very a early age, a traumatic experience. I think it is for a lot of people. Um, I think people take... Different people have different ways of dealing with their own sexuality. Some people shut it out for life. Um, some people just accept it like that. Um, for me, it was just... It gave me some problems, you know, just fears, the sort of run-of-the-mill stuff. Oh, my God, what if my parents find out? Will I get kicked out of home? Will I lose all my friends? Um, I think it can be traumatic, but depending on what sort of support networks you have around you, and what your parents, especially what your parents believe, if you live at home, I think that's a really important factor because they can either support you or they can just completely not support you. I was pretty fortunate. I have pretty cool parents. Mm. Um, 
if so, if someone wanted to come out, how would they go about it? Is that can that be a traumatic experience as well? I think so. Um, depending on the reaction of um the people you tell, um, it can either be a really really good and reaffirming decision and can be a huge weight of off your back. Um, just the relief that most people get from telling someone and finally having someone else to talk about it with. Um, I think it can be very traumatic. Um, the thing that I would recommend to anyone who's thinking about coming out is make sure you um, you know where to go if you do need some support. You know, if things don't go the way it plans and, you know, your best friend chucks a fit or goes and tells everyone else. You know, know what those options are. You know, get in contact with the Gay Youth Project and things like that. And um, so you have that backup if you need it. Do you think there's still challenges if it if someone does decide to come out inverted commas do do you as you said young people uh, now don't really see it as an issue is there even a need to come out um i i i think that um people are still a little worried about coming out to their family there's always that that little bit of fear of oh how will they react or you know if you're from a particular cultural background you might have even more fear about coming out to your family but I think there's a real distinction now between coming out in your wider community versus coming out in your family. Coming out in your wider community, being openly non-heterosexual, for lack of a better word, in schools is no longer a big issue. Um, but but I think there's that, that bit of hesitation with your family because those are people you love and you want to love you, so you don't... Mm. There might just be a little element of, of extra... I guess, for, uh, around coming out to your family. Um, it's, and I suppose by definition, they're, they're older, yeah? They're going to be a generation separated from you if you're talking about your parents. Yeah, I think so. Well, it depends on how old you are and how old your parents are, I guess. But yeah, mm, they, yes. they are a bit older. Yeah, they are a bit older. It's still a lot of what we call late life in the community. We affectionately call them late life gays or late life lesbians. There's a lot of people who, my age especially, who at the time, 20 years ago in their early 20s, felt they needed to get married because that was the expectation. They needed to have children because that was the expectation. But then they, in their 40s or in their late 30s, when they become more comfortable with who they are and a bit more honest with themselves and with others about who they are, then they come out. So, so I, get, I think you're right. There is a... There is a generational factor in all of that. That's so interesting. Obviously, um, I'm I'm not in a position to, to be assessing this, but I felt like that that um, the tragedy of that, I suppose, was was of generations past. It's interesting that that you're suggesting still there's that phenomenon is still around enough that that it's been talked about. Um, it just seems like what what a shame. Yeah, and and I think it is a shame. I, I always feel a bit sorry. That those people were that people who come out late in life um, uh, may have missed out on some wonderful times in their in their life because mm. they pretended to be someone else. Having said all that, um, uh, there was an example this week of a celebrity I actually never heard of until he showed up in my newsfeed. But um, an 18-year-old actor was outed in the U.S. this year, uh, this week. And um, and I think it's terrible when you out someone else. That it's no one's business but your own when you choose mm. both your sexuality. And then I always think it's a terrible thing when 
Um, and this has happened to me numerous times. Um, never with bad intent, I don't think, but it's like it's just not your place to tell anyone else that so-and-so might yes. be lesbian or bisexual. That's up to them to choose whether to tell or not. Yeah, what, one of the things we talked about in 99 was was the need for for you to be ready and accepting of yourself and and um, and and choosing how you, you you wish to communicate whatever your sexuality may be really yeah. um, and how important that is but i think self acceptance is one of those lifelong things um because we all grow up in the same society um even gay people are homophobic and we call it internalized homophobia and you have to get over that conditioning you've had for years and years and years in the media and from parents and from friends and at school um about all the myths and um, misconceptions about homosexuality so I think it's a lifelong process. I think self-acceptance and you're always coming out. Um, like, you know, I guess I've just come out again to everyone who's listening that doesn't know me. Yeah, I feel like so, on the first day you spoke about STDs and then yeah, you started this, this segment. It's just, it's a constant process. It gets easier each time, though, I think. There are certainly certain areas of camera where I feel a lot safer um, than other ones. Like, if I was walking on the street with my partner, um, if it wasn't civic and broad daylight, you know, I wouldn't have qualms holding hands or kissing or whatever. Um, if I was in Balconum at any time during the day of the year, of the week, whatever, um, I certainly would not. Is um, that right? Yeah, most of my, um, I, I know so many people who've got, um, what we call getting picked, um, which is, you know, you're identified as a queer person and you basically get the shit kicked through you or... So you gay know, bashings are common made. in Canberra? Oh, absolutely. And on campus as well, so it's not mm. unheard of. Wow. Well, you don't have a very nice campus, apparently. Yeah. I think all campuses, I was yeah. in general. Yeah. So um, I think I think the general community attitudes are getting better. Um, most people aren't quite as homophobic as they used to be, but, you know, a few rotten apples still. Some of us are ready to talk about sex and have sex and explore relationships and be romantic at different times. And 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 I think that's a very personal um, journey and, and experience of being ready. And, and, and I think the more we can accept that people will tell us when it's relevant or when they feel like telling us or sharing something, the, the better we'll be as a community. So in terms of acceptance... Um Homophobia w- was obviously a topic we discussed in 1999. You- you've talked about your own personal experiences there. Thank you. D- do you think th- those experiences would suggest there is still an element of homophobia in the community, but but based on what you've said already, not to the same extent it was 20 years ago? I think not to the same extent, but, but then I think about things like the very vocal opposition to the gay marriage movement and here in Victoria, we're in the midst of an election and one of the parties um, is running on a platform of introducing conversion classes into high school. So it's still, it's still around, um, but, but I, would, I would like to think it's a much smaller but more vocal community that is uh, the, uh, part of the community that is homophobic. You know, there are certain political parties that, 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 um, run on platforms of being anti this and anti that, and but but I but but the statistics tell us it's a much much smaller percentage. I'm I'm encouraged, for example, by the latest census data. How many people were happy to identify as being mm. in a gay marriage? They didn't ask whether you were gay or not, 
but they asked whether you were in a same-sex relationship that was for the first time an option. So it's encouraging to see how many, that it's more than the one in 10. I think it was somewhere around 16% who identified as being in a same-sex relationship. So it was, I, I think there's less stigma, but yeah, it's still around. Yeah, and it's so it's so easy to say when I was reflecting back on the episode that uh, we talked about uh, legal changes around that time. It's now not illegal in any state. Um, Tasmania was the last state to decriminalise um, sex between males. Um, and that was, I think, only about a year and a half or two years ago. And that was only because the gay and lesbian rights lobby actually took it as far as the High Court because the Australia's um, signatory to a treaty from the United Nations on civil rights and Tasmania was in clear contradiction to that treaty but just refused to change it. Did the they have actually enforced those laws recently? Like they, the they, they did enforce it. Um, once it became clear that people were actually deliberately trying to get caught right. having sex, um, they stopped enforcing it because they knew that would force the issue through the court system and make you know, the draconian laws apparent to the world. Um, but yeah, they still enforce it, and certainly they still enforce it in Western Australia where um, the age of consent for sex between males is 21, which I just think is ridiculous. Um, there were still states with different ages of consent depending on depending on your sexuality. And then it was, and I was thinking it's very easy then superficially to say, well, look where we are now. We've, we've had... Um, same-sex marriage uh, entrenched. But, of course, that was a, a painful time, yeah? That was a very difficult time. There was a lot of very awful things said. So it's it's sort of very flippant to say. Um, it, it was a different time. Um, the Tasmania was the last state to decriminalise homosexuality, never mind age of consent. Um, I, I distinctly remember when I was in that position where I gave the interview at the AIDS Action Council at the time. I went to a conference in Perth. And um, I think I was 19 or 20. I started working at the AIDS Council when I was 18. And um, and um, in Perth, the age of consent was 21. And here I was at one of my first sort of gay conferences. And, of course, you know, I partied and had fun. But, but it was always at the back of my mind that I'm under the age of legal consent in Western Australia. And um, and I think that's a bit more standardised now around Australia, thankfully. But at the time heterosexual age of consent was 16 and the homosexual age of consent was 21. And so, you know, homosexuals sort of didn't have the mental ability to give consent until they were five years older than their heterosexual counterparts. It always seemed really strange to me. It's extraordinary to look back on it now, isn't it? And that, that was only, I think, 10, 15 years ago they probably changed that law. So it, it's not that long ago. It feels like a lifetime ago, but it actually wasn't that long ago. <laughs> and so um, to, to sort of capture what you've said so far, a better time to be a gay man in Australia now than what it was 20 years ago? I would say so, yes. It's an, it's a, I don't know if it's a better time. It's a much easier thing to be these days. So what, what do you think the future – there are still bumps in the road ahead, do you think? I think life in general is harder for people, especially young people. Um, uh, that's why I'm hesitant to use the word better. Um, but it's, but in terms of being gay as one factor of who you are, I think that part is easier these days, yes, and better. They, and you certainly have more options to socialise and be yourself and 
find safe environments. So yeah, I guess better is a probably a good word to use. So do you want to expand on some of those other aspects of of being is that is that post COVID or is that is that something else? No, I think that's something else. I think I think um, young people just just have a lot more to deal with these days. The um, the you know mental health issues are on the increase and. And that's not necessarily sexuality related. Although, again, when I needed to access counselling, um, I got shafted straight away to the Thorn Harbour Health Service by my local psychologist. Mm. Um, and I was just like, again, I'm not having, I'm not seeking counselling because of my sexuality. Oh, they want to treat the whole you. I hate that line. Um, and um, uh, I, I think just in general, young people seem to have a lot more worries. You know, it's, I, I now have and nephews and mm. when I talk to them they they think about they think about stuff that I wasn't even aware of when I was their age, you know. They I wasn't mm. conscious of wars happening in the world. I wasn't conscious of terrorism. I we, I didn't have a pandemic to deal with. Um uh I, I think the only thing that's probably easier at the moment and that's the post COVID thing is finding a job because no one can find enough workers. But um but um, other than mm. that, I think school is becoming harder. I look at how much work young people have to do in school these days and just want to faint. I tried, I, I, I did some study two years ago and just found the workload too high while working when I was 18. And the last time we spoke, I had a full-time job. I was studying full-time and I still managed to find time to party and do drag shows. And, and you know, I, I just, these days, I don't think I could, study and work full-time. I, I found it incredibly difficult to study and work full-time. Um, and, I, and, I think, and I think young people have a lot more issues to deal with at home. Um, my understanding from my most recent job in emergency services was that domestic violence is incredibly prevalent and I, and I feel for the young people who watch their mums getting beaten up or who get beaten up themselves and have to hide in closets and um, and I and again, alcohol use is, is through the roof and lockdowns, especially here in Victoria. And and the more people drink, the more violence seems to occur, as I've learned in emergency services. And um, I just think in general, life is a bit more complicated. But I also think that young people are a lot more resilient as a result of that. So you know, it's, it's good to see that young people aren't falling over; they just seem more tired, maybe. <laughs> mm, well, I'd agree with all that, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. And often, um, it's my children via their their um, devices that are telling me about some of the awful news breaking in the world before I've even had a chance to digest it or, or work out how we're going to talk about it. I think that's that's so true. And everything's immediate now with social media, you know. And um, and and I I do think there there are many negative sides to social media, especially for young people and. And the need to to sort of curate this 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 life of uh, my life is fabulous, and here's a photo of the fabulous things yes. I'm doing, and here's how, and here's how good I look today. And you know, I didn't have those pressures growing up. Mm. I just looked how I looked, and 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 if I didn't want to tell someone what I was doing, there wasn't some device tracking what I was doing. <laughs> so true. You know, that's, that's so true. That's all of now. Yeah. Well, thank you again for your generosity and, and sharing those experiences. Anything, any other reflections you would make looking back? Um, no, the only the only reflection I'd give to anyone listening is hang in there. 
you, you've got this and, and, and you'll get there. And, and if you haven't found your tribe yet, you will, because there are wonderful people in the world. And, um, and, um, you've, you've got this. It's, it's every, every everything is, is transient and you might feel crappy one day, but you will feel better. Just, just keep going. Just keep walking and keep moving. Wonderful advice. Thank you, Matt. No worries. It's been great chatting, Sean. Taboo is written and produced by me, Sean Costello, and the amazing Melanie Skinner. You can reach us for feedback, questions, advice, or ideas for future Taboo concepts we should cover via email. Taboo, T-W-O-B-O-O podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Or otherwise, we're Taboo Podcast, don't forget the T-W-O, on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. We're back soon with another episode of Taboo.